from our series on 2 Corinthians for this week. And uh, because of the retreat, I wanted to preach a theme that was a little bit along the lines of the retreat. It's also, this morning's sermon is sort of a sequel to my Easter sermon, which was on Isaiah 53. And it's also a little bit of a kickoff of our... Um, of our Sunday school class on relating to Jesus, even though we've had that class for three weeks now. So, we're going to be in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and uh, if you don't, if uh, that, uh, if you'd like a copy of it in paper form, Tom, I mean, Kurt is passing it out. Um, I hope, hopefully we'll have it all up here piece by piece. We're going to walk through it piece by piece. But uh, he has the pieces all in written form. So raise your hand and wave to him if you would like one of those. This is Isaiah 55, 1 through 3a and then 6 through 7. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Okay, so we're basically just going to walk through sections of this. I don't know how many sections there are, except that it goes up to I. So if you can, if you know the numbers, how they correspond with the letters, that's how many pieces. But let's first just look at the first phrase, come everyone who thirsts. This invitation from God to come to him is to those who thirst. Come everyone who thirsts. In order to come to God, we have to have a sense of need. You can't come if you don't thirst. You're not invited if you don't thirst. It's just like what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, when he said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. That, that invitation isn't just for everyone. It's for those who are weary and heavy laden. Now, what if you don't thirst? What if you're happy with your life as it is? Then honestly, Jesus isn't for you. But it's not that you don't need Jesus. It's that you don't know that you need Jesus. You need Jesus just as much as everybody else does. 
but not everyone knows. This is the same thing as what Jesus said when he talked about the sick. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus extends an invitation to us as, our, as the water and as the healer. But only if we recognize that we are thirsty and we are sick and we are in need of him. There are none that are righteous, of course, but some think they are. And in Revelation 3, Jesus talks about people like this. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, there is nothing that I need, but you have no eyes to see that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. If you don't come to grips with your need, you can't come to grips with God. Come, everyone who thirsts. The next part of the verse says, come to the waters. Now we can tell that these waters are drinking waters because the invitation is to those who thirst it's not come to this nice lake so you can go canoeing it's come to the water that because you need to drink you, you have to understand water in the ancient near east of course where every day was a constant need of finding water just to keep your body alive and so in that context, Jesus says, I come to the waters. But of course he's not talking here about literal water, about the kind of water that you can splash. He's talking about living water, as elsewhere in the Bible. For instance, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2 verse 13 spoke of this my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water Jesus uh, God calls himself the fountain of living water Jesus spoke like this to the Samaritan woman didn't he when he said if you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And later he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's John 7. So Jesus is the living water. God is the living water. The next part of verse 1 is very interesting. It says, And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. How can you buy something without money? Isn't it a gift? If you get something without paying for it, why does it say buy? It doesn't say come receive and eat, it says come buy and eat. 
And yet, it also stresses the fact that it costs no money. How can you buy something without paying for it? Well, there is one context in which in everyday life we can buy something without money. When you are in the store with someone else and they say, buy whatever you like and I'll pay for it. You are buying something without money, aren't you? There is a cost, but the cost is borne by someone else. And that's why this verse says, buy with no money. Because it wants us to know that the, there is a cost. It's a very high cost, actually. But the cost isn't paid by you and me. There's another aspect in this verse. All of a sudden, instead of water, it's talking about wine and milk. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, wine and milk are really just very fancy waters, tasty waters, filling waters, delightful waters. And so this water is not just, you know, just water, just enough to keep you alive. This is rich, delicious, fulfilling water that he's offering us here to buy with no money. Happy waters, if you will. Verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. In other words, there are other options available. God is not the only one who extends to us an invitation. But the other offers have at least two differences. Number one, they do cost. You do have to pay for them yourself. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And the second thing about them is that they don't satisfy. So here's the one option is to receive what someone else has purchased for you, which is free and is satisfying. And the other option is to pay yourself, to pay the cost yourself and receive that which is not satisfying. It's a no-brainer. Proverbs 9 talks about the woman, folly, who stands at the head of the street. She is loud and seductive, it says. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. And this is what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
But he, that is the simpleton who does, who's listening, who's, who's, when, who receives her words in his ears, it says he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So here's the option, you know, here's the one, she's, you get other offers, you get plenty of people standing on the, saying, here, this is it, come in here. But instead of being free and satisfying, there's a cost, there's a big cost, and they don't satisfy. It's pretty stupid, isn't it, to pay for something that doesn't give you what you need. And yet that's what people do all the time. That's what we do. Sometimes we pay for things that don't satisfy. So what do you tend to come to instead of coming to the water? We all struggle with this. The world has many things to offer. Many enticements. But you can find a lot of nice things even in the context of church that are like this. You can come to church for friends. You can come to church for a sense of pride that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You can come to church for the music. You can come to church for the theology, the teaching, the the uh, intellectual side of it. You can come to church because it gives you a feeling that you're doing right in a world that's doing wrong. But whatever you come to, whether it's something out in the world or it's something in the church, if you don't come to God, you're coming to something that costs you dearly but doesn't satisfy. And even church, yes, even church will cost you dearly and not satisfy you if you're actually not coming to God. But this is what people do. They pay dearly for what is not food, for that which is empty at best and poisonous at worst. When all along they could have great food, true food, for free. That's what this passage says. And then the next part of verse 2. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. In America we have lots of access to much delicious food. You can see it on some of us. But no matter how much you eat, you keep getting hungry again. Yesterday's delicious food, you just don't feel it the next day. But there is greater food. There is richer food. There is a more satisfying food. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
He is the true food. So what are you going to eat? Well, Isaiah 55 says, Listen diligently and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. True food. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So here in this verse, we see this interesting connection between listening to God and having life. Incline your ear, come to me, that your soul may live. So, the first thing to notice is that the thing that we're supposed to come to is God. It, this, is, this is very relational here. It's not talking about, you know, a certain set of things to believe. It's talking about someone to know, someone to come to. Coming to God. So it's not just a matter of receiving instructions and then trying to put them into practice. But there is a listening aspect to it, isn't there? He asks us to come to him and listen to him. Now this isn't like listening to, a, to the radio or listening even to a sermon. This is listening to your maker. Listening to your master. This is full attentiveness. This is having high regard for what he says to you. Believing that it is what you need. You know, this idea that listening can give you life is not just here in the Bible. But it's it's many places in the Bible. Proverbs 4, my words are life to those who find him. Deuteronomy 32, it is no empty word for you, but your very life. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak are life. Now this doesn't mean that you know, God's words are magical and that if you just recite them or just get near them somehow, that you're, it's going to give you life. You know, like some people have a Bible and they keep it near them almost like it's a good luck charm, but they never read it. That's not the point. That's not the way that, this, that the word of God gives us life when we listen to it. The truths that God tells us in his word, that's what gives us life. You can see this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see, he's attentive to the word of God, and as a result, life grows in him. You know, so many of us today are focused on taking care of our bodies to the neglect of our souls. How do you take care of your soul? Incline your ear and come to me 
God says that your soul may live. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God has extended this offer of grace right now. But here in many places in the Bible, we're told that this offer will eventually come to an end. There will be a time when it's too late, as the parable of the ten virgins makes clear. This age is an age of opportunity, an age of invitation. But there's a day coming when that door will close. It will no longer be a day of opportunity and invitation. It will be a day of judgment. The five virgins who didn't have oil in their lamps, after the door was shut, they cried out, Lord, Lord, open to us. But the bridegroom answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. This invitation is all about forgiveness and life and satisfaction and delight and free grace. But silently looming in the background of this passage and many passages are the consequences of not doing what the passage says. Of not taking advantage of this invitation. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. This verse teaches us that when we come to God, we have to leave everything else behind. You can't have him and keep your old idols. You can't have his new life and keep your old life too. You forsake your way and follow his way. You forsake your way of thinking and learn his way of thinking. The prodigal son had to leave the pigs in order to go to the father. He couldn't bring the pigs with him. And we have to let go of our idols in order to take hold of the Lord. Verse 7b, the last part. Let him return to the Lord, the wicked man. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is amazing. When a wicked one and an unrighteous one turn to the Lord, they will not be met with his righteous anger or just vengeance, but they will be met with compassion and pardon. How can this be? How can a just and righteous God justly forgive? There's one answer to this. Let me tell you something about the book of Isaiah that's really fascinating. The tone of this passage here is very full of encouragement and hope. But not the whole book of Isaiah. And there's 
a radical change in the tone of Isaiah from the first part to the second part. The first part, there's a lot of the inescapability of destruction. The last part, with the assurance of a bright future. And you know where the change of tone comes? It comes in, Matthew, in Isaiah 53. The description of the Lord's atonement. After that, there is all these assurances of compassion, of abundant pardon for God's people. And so you ask, how can this happen? You go back to Isaiah 53 and you see how this happened. This happened because of what happens in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. My servant shall make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's how God took care of sin. That's why God can abundantly pardon sinners. He took the penalty upon himself. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now many of us have already done this. We have welcomed the Lord and we have heard his call to come to him and we have done so. But some of us have not. Maybe you've been going to church all your life, but you've never come to the living water. You know, this is the most important invitation you'll ever receive. Come to the water of life and drink. But this isn't just an invitation to come once. This is a daily invitation for all of us. Come to me and live God says to us, as real as the other issues of our lives are, and as much in need of solution as they are, there is in every one of our lives one main issue. The ultimate question that each of us has to come to grips with is how we as sinful humans can live before a holy God. You can solve all the other questions. But if you don't solve this one, then nothing is solved. But solve this one and all the others can be mastered. Because if we have God, everything is possible. We live before a holy God who cannot tolerate sin. But God has solved this problem by sending Jesus to the cross he is the only solution to the problem of sin. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have hope. And now 
here in many places, he invites us to his solution, to receive it. Let me close by just rereading these words of his invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Jesus calls us to come. And here we come to the table. Come, eat bread that you did not buy. Eat costly bread that someone else paid for. For he is the bread of life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you have done a great thing to be crushed for our iniquities. And now, Lord, you call us to come to you. May each one of us hear your call. And may each one of us joyfully, with abandon, run into your arms to be received by you and feed upon you, O Lord. For we know that you are the true food and that the food that this world offers us does not satisfy. Thank you for this sacrament, O Lord, where every week we're reminded of our need for you and of your extending yourself to us and giving yourself to us and our Lord's atoning death. May we each now come and partake with joy what you have provided. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.